0: You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com.
1: Hey, I'm Molly Stewart, Twisties Treat of the Year, and you're listening to Holly Randall Unfiltered, sponsored by Twisties. Twisties is a leading glamour porn site for exclusively lesbian and girl-girl content. Since starting my journey with Twisties, I have shot some incredible scenes with some of the best girls, making some truly amazing fantasies come to life for 18 years they have featured the biggest names in the industry recently rebranding to exclusively female content twisty stays focused on raising the bar of what modern porn looks like while highlighting the up-and-coming talent of our generation their treats of the month and now treat of the year give viewers a taste of what their favorite girls are like under the wrapper my journey since being their treat of the month in January of 2018 has been incredible, and I can't wait to see what they have in store for the future. To unwrap the hottest treats and mouthwatering scenes, visit twisties.com and find them on Twitter at twisties and Instagram at twisties Hi, I'm Holly
2: Randall, and welcome to my podcast, Holly Randall Unfiltered. This is a show about sex, the adult industry, and the people in it. I'm a 21-year veteran of this fascinating little industry, and as the eldest child of the trailblazing erotic photographer Suze Randall, you could say I grew up in it. So forget everything you think you know about porn, because this show is going to change your mind. My guests are some of the biggest names in the industry, and we unabashedly reveal the real behind-the-scenes stories. The funny, the inspiring, the tragic, and the bizarre. Everyone has an opinion about sex work, but few people actually listen to the sex workers. So sit back and prepare yourself for a podcast which is honest, raw, and unfiltered. Hey guys, welcome back to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Before I introduce my guest, I want to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Care of Vitamins. It is a subscription service that ships high quality, personalized vitamins curated just for you and your needs straight to your door. I take my care of vitamins every single day. I have for years and I have to tell you it makes a huge difference in how I feel every day. Um, You can get 50% off of your first Care of order by going to takecareof.com dot com and entering code Holly fifty. Okay, so you first met my guest on my podcast back in 2019 when she was only a year into her adult career. She's now appeared in over 500 scenes as a multi AVN and XBIZ award winner and has recently released her directorial debut, Stars Through Adult Time. This movie is based on her personal experience carving her own path into the adult industry after being manipulated by an older man. Let's welcome Jane Wilde.
0: Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back. Of
2: course. It's so good to see you again. I know.
0: It's been forever, I feel like. It has. The
2: last time I saw you was when I shot you for Bombshell
0: of the Month. I know. And I love those photos. Yeah. They I came out really them. cool. So good. So um, what's what's been going in these last ahead. three years a lot well um we had a global pandemic did we yeah did I, we I think it might have been about almost three years ago i don't remember that it's and it's crazy um that you know when we did our interview in 2019 like we couldn't have and nobody in the world i think could have understood or, or realized like how much the world was going to change right. in such a short amount of time um, but we adapted. so I for the past few years I've just been adapting and kind of just figuring out like what does life look like now? what does my career look like? what does my future look like? Um, so it's been a lot of like introspection and just continuing to grind away at adult work and then pursuing like several new endeavors. Mm-hmm. So it's been good. It's
2: been interesting because I know the pandemic was like, Horrible for a lot of people. And, um, but I find that it was actually really good for sex workers in a lot of ways. What was your experience like?
0: Um, Well, obviously, at first, when the lockdown happened, that was not good for anybody because we were just like so unsure of what was going to happen. We had no idea. Um, A lot of uncertainty as far as are we going to be able to work with other people again? Because, like, that's what we do, that's Mm -hmm. part of life. Um, then once we were able to come back to work in mainstream and kind of start collaborating again, um, that was really good. But the explosion of OnlyFans and just like, um, private subscription platforms or just like personal content in general, um, at first I was like a little scared about it because majority of the stuff that I did was like, you know, company mainstream scenes, And I wasn't really putting that much thought or effort into my OnlyFans or into the future, what I could make from that, like, make of myself. And then I finally started taking it seriously, like, right around two years ago at this time. And it's just been a blessing. Like, I don't know if I would have made it through the pandemic um, mentally or, like, financially without my subscribers. So just realizing the potential of that and the potential of, like, the future that as long as I have my subs and my loyal fans, like I can do anything I want to do. And it doesn't just have to stay like in the adult world. Yeah. So that's been really enlightening to realize.
2: So how has the pandemic affected, like how you see work now?
0: Um, how I see work. Well, being in the adult industry, work has always been kind of subjective because I've always just loved it so much Um, that I didn't really see it as work. And that could also just be me being like a 20 year old and only having had one real job before. And then I'm thrown into this world and I'm able to make a lot of money and connections and networking just by doing something I love, which is having sex and performing and entertaining people. Um, So I never saw it as work. But then with the pandemic and you know, now putting this work into OnlyFans, creating my own content, I definitely see it more as, like, a job and not just, like, oh, something I get to do for fun and, like, oh, and I get paid, but I'm really starting to think about, like, marketing and just the different aspects that go into run- running a business. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to see it more as, like, running a business as mm-hmm. opposed to just going to work, if that makes Are sense. Are you feeling,
2: like, more longevity?
0: Yeah. yeah. Like, the, the longevity is... um feels more attainable as opposed to in the past, like unless you were like the most iconic porn star and like, you know, going on Howard Stern and celebrities knowing who you are, like you leave the industry and then you kind of just have to unless you saved all your money, you have to just go back to a normal life. But I feel that those days are kind of over and that if you want to continue your career and your longevity, you can as long as you're willing to put the work into it.
2: So do you feel more secure financially and secure in your career?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, This year is probably, since I started um, doing adult films, probably the least amount of scenes that I've shot. Um, Just still a good amount. I've been working, but the least out of all the years. And I'm not upset about that. I'm not panicked. I'm not scared for my future because I know that no matter what – the loyal fans I've accumulated are going to stick around as long as I keep feeding them more content.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So we talked, you talked about marketing. I know you started a YouTube channel. So tell me about your inspiration behind that.
0: So um, I would say my inspiration behind it was just seeing um, how I don't want to say like sex obsessed, but like how interested people really are in the lives of adult performers. And, you know, some people might act like they're not and who wants to see this shit or who wants to hear about that. But secretly, they're also the ones clicking on the video when I say like, here's, you know, a day in the life of a porn star, or this is, you know, how I prepare for a scene, or this is how I would pursue getting in the adult industry. And um, I think there's, I just had this longing. Like, I want to create a new type of content. I don't want to stop making adult content, but I also want to make content that's consumable by people that don't just want to watch porn. Like, -hmm. so I feel that I have more to say and more to offer than just my porn scenes. So I said, YouTube, I've been using YouTube since I was a child, like a little girl, and now I'm an adult. And I feel that. I have a lot to say. Mm -hmm. So I thought YouTube would be a really good platform um, for getting that out there. And it has been.
2: Yeah. So what were some of the first videos you put up on YouTube and and what was the response and were you surprised by that response?
0: So the first video I put on my channel was a story time video where I talked about an incident that I had on set um, (laughs) involving a banana going somewhere that a banana would not normally go Mm. and then there were some serious consequences from that situation um and it's funny because oh uh,
2: food porn yes
0: food porn (laughs) literally and when that incident was going down which happened back in february i remember thinking distinctly i hadn't posted anything on my youtube yet but i had made the account and told people to subscribe, I remember thinking, wow, this is going to be such a funny story to tell in a YouTube video. Um, That's not why I did it. (laughs) It just (laughs) happened that way. Um, So I told the story and I posted some pictures and I don't know if it's just a thing like Whenever people visit your channel, they always want to go see what the first video is. But that's definitely my best performing video on YouTube. Um, also, I think just the absurdity of the situation. Yeah. People were like thinking it's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, people, they really liked it. So I've done a couple other like story time telling weird stuff that's happened. And and just I want to keep it fun. You know, mm-hmm. at first I was posting um, Kind of like some serious videos talking about real kind of some dark stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But I deleted those videos because I just realized that there's a lot of stuff that I put out there that I don't necessarily want to stay out there. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not ashamed or regretful of putting it out there. Like if you saw it and you know it now, that's fine. But a lot of that stuff is like very personal stuff, I realize, and stuff I'm still working through. Mm-hmm. So I don't um, want it to be content, at least not right now. Mm-hmm. It still like needs to be worked on. So
2: I understand. It's kind of like, because the problem is too with the YouTube algorithm is that if something becomes popular, YouTube pushes it out more and more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And then people who may not know you or know your channel that's like the only video that they ever see from you and then it gives people a specific idea about the industry and I know that like you went you talked about some some stuff that you dealt with during the pandemic with like Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't even say like inappropriate like producers and directors but Mm -hmm. just like you know like some some pretty serious things that you went through and other women too you know and that was an interesting thing too about the pandemic was like, we kind of, which I thought was a good thing. We had this kind of like second wave Me Too movement because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed to me that now, you know, first of all, COVID and being in lockdown gives you a lot of time with yourself to Mm -hmm. like think about shit, right? um so you can't really escape your mind as you could if you're right. to work all the time Oops. and then um the financial independence that people started to feel with like OnlyFans, that fear of being blacklisted for mm-hmm. speaking out against things that happen to you i i feel like people were like actually i can talk about these things because like there's not this fear of of losing all this work and being blacklisted mm-hmm. and then um you know other people started to come in and and basically corroborate other people's stories. And so I thought it was good because I felt like some bad people got kind of pushed out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know I will tell you like specifically, I know that, There was, like, a culling of the herd at MindGeek. I know that they, like, called a lot of models and agents and were, like, these, like, tell us about our directors. Like, have you had problems with any of these? And some Mm -hmm. stories came up about certain people Mm -hmm. that they weren't aware of, and those people got axed. Yeah. Um, I was, like, so relieved. (laughs) You're great. I, yeah, I was never like, done I'm good. <laughs>
0: you still think back and you still examine. You're like, wait, did I ever do anything that someone could misconstrue? But no. Yeah.
2: I mean, I'm Um, yeah. I mean, I think also as a woman and like that, I don't like women and I've never tried to ever have Be sex with anybody yeah, that I've ever been with. But, it, I, you know, I definitely thought. And then that's actually when we started talking about bringing the boundary checklist in because yeah. it didn't exist before that. Right. We'd have like a quick conversation about what we were doing. Yeah. But there was never, like, that really explicit, like, is this okay? Is this okay? Is mm-hmm. this okay? So I felt like it was really good because it um, kind of forced me as a producer to, like, really check in with everyone right. and make sure that, like, we're all on the same page. Because sometimes you th- you read people wrong mm-hmm. or you think somebody's okay with something and they're not and right. they don't feel comfortable speaking up. So, When it
0: comes to something as serious as consent mm-hmm. in a sexual situation, I think that there's no room... For error, you know, Mm. there's no margin for error. There's no room to like read it and try to figure. Like nobody should have to figure out what's going on. Everybody should know exactly what's expected and exactly what's going on at all times. And if there's any confusion, it it should be cleared up immediately. Um, And it kind of sucks that you know it took all of that to make that happen. But I do feel very happy that that's the case for multiple big companies right now, um, holding everybody on set accountable, including the talent themselves to make their boundaries clear because like you can't, you can't, um, control violating someone's boundaries. If you don't know what the boundaries are, Mm -hmm. like, if you don't have that knowledge, how are you supposed to know what is okay and what isn't like, obviously, you know, there's certain things that are never okay. Mm -hmm. If someone says, stop you, of course you stop. Um, but there, are, you know, there's certain things that in a couple of years before this happened, we're getting more normalized. I think rougher behavior on set and just, um, kind of an expectation that a female talent will be like down for whatever. And that's mm-hmm. just not the case. And it never needs to be the case, mm-hmm. um, And I think what you said about the fear of blacklisting was so true and not even just in a financial aspect, but in a social aspect. Um, I've seen it with my own eyes, like people who make accusations that for whatever reason, the majority doesn't believe they do get ostracized from their community. And especially as sex workers and sex work adjacent people, um, we're already so marginalized by society. And then to be Experiencing that from your own community, um, it just it it shouldn't be happening. I I hate the fact that it has happened, um, and hopefully it will not be happening again. Because now, yeah, I like the fact that everyone was able to come together in droves, basically, and just look when ten women are all saying the exact same thing about one person. It's, I mean, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah, there is. And I think the people that try so hard to uh, defend those types of people or they're always on the side of the accused person, they're never stopping to think, wait, let me think logically for a second and think about why would 10 women that don't know each other, we're in the industry, but none of us know each other, why would we conspire because that's basically what you're saying. It's a conspiracy that we all came together and decided we're going to ruin the life and accuse this one person that did nothing wrong. Right. And we're all just going to say these things for no reason and risk the blacklisting. That doesn't happen. Yeah. that I think people think that happens way more often than it actually does. Mm. And that is like the rarity, the rarity most common scenario is that this person had bad behavior Mm -hmm. and got a little too entitled and had too much power and felt like they were God and they could get away with anything and treating young women however and you just can't do that anymore so I feel very lucky to have witnessed that radical change because it needed to happen and if COVID needed to happen for people to be like Well, you know, I don't need to worry about if I'm going to accuse this person and then possibly see like their best friend on set, you know, Mm -hmm. on Monday. That wasn't the case during COVID. We all were stuck at home. So it's almost like that freedom. It's like there's no expectation of me. Who knows if we're even going to get to go back to work Yeah. at that time? We didn't even know. Yeah. So it's like, what the fuck do we have to lose? Nothing. Yeah. Just went for it.
2: Yeah. And I think also, too, the one mistake that people tend to make is like, oh, well, I never saw this person behave that way. That doesn't mean that they didn't because like people act differently with different people.
0: And some abusers or people who engage in that type of behavior regularly, they're very strategic. And obviously their whole goal is to not get caught. So whatever steps they need to take to not get caught, which might involve, you know, being selective with who they behave that way around or, you know, having like, A special relationship with someone and making them feel special. Um, There's a lot of tactics that these types of people use. I have experienced that firsthand. Um, So I'm just glad that people like that are being called out. and, And, you know, obviously, thank you to the brave people that were the first whistleblowers on on any type of dark situation like that.
2: So do you do you find that the set culture is different now that you've come back to work after COVID?
0: Yes, definitely. Um, I don't want to say I mean, when I was brand brand new, there were definitely instances when I felt uncomfortable on set and didn't feel comfortable speaking up or saying anything. For whatever reason, maybe I felt like, you know, the people on set, they're all kind of like a family and they have camaraderie and I'm the outsider coming in and I'm going to get penalized for not being comfortable or whatever the case is. It's definitely the power is in the talent's hands. Now, I think, um, again with the content and only fans and now us having the opportunity and the power to walk away from these sets and these companies and say, if I don't ever want to do another scene, I don't have to, and I will be fine. There's a freedom and a power that comes with that. And a- I think that, you know, the heads of the companies have kind of seen that and noticed that. So we're definitely there's an incentive to come back to set and come back to work with companies because of the treatment and the experience has gotten better.
2: Yeah. No, I I mean, as a producer, I definitely feel that. Like there was a time before where, you know, if I had a situation where a model like didn't feel like she could finish the scene for whatever reason she's in pain she's not feeling well um whatnot like if i called the scene that i would just hear never hear the end of it from my client and i would have mm-hmm. to pay my out of my own yeah. pocket to reschedule it and reshoot it um and i will say i mean i only work for my geek now i'm not shooting for anybody else but they have made it like quite clear that that's not the case so mm-hmm. i feel better too about the environments that you know I'm putting people in. I mean, I like I like to believe that I've always like had a safe set where people feel comfortable mm-hmm. and feel okay to speak up. But, you know, I don't know that for sure. Um, but I do feel better like now as a producer. I feel that it's just everybody feels more comfortable. And I like the boundary checklist thing. I think that's really good.
0: Yeah, I like it too because um, it just holds everybody accountable to not do anything that someone's not okay with, and it, just because you know we're in porn, um, we're doing adult work that a lot of people might look down on. That it doesn't mean that we should look down on ourselves and feel like we don't deserve good treatment on set, or just because it's not a Hollywood movie set that we don't deserve to have our voices heard, or or to not do something that makes us uncomfortable, or to feel this pressure like if I don't do something that makes me uncomfortable, nobody on set, including my friends and the crew and everything, no one's going to get paid. Mm -hmm. Nobody should feel that type of pressure and feel inclined to do something that they wouldn't otherwise do. That's, in a way, that's coercion. And that shouldn't be happening on adult sets because people have a lot of weird ideas about what goes down in this industry and they think that coercion happens a lot more than it does. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to say that I have rarely if ever experienced it um and I think it has a lot to do with the changes that were made during COVID that yeah nobody feels like oh well you know we want to do the best scene possible so if you could like do this position and then do that and if, if you don't want to do it you shouldn't have to do it like it shouldn't be there's a freedom that comes with this type of work where you shouldn't have to do anything you don't want to do it's your consent it's your body that's your privilege. Yeah, absolutely.
2: All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to come back. We're of course going to talk about Jane's movie stars. So hang tight. We'll be right back. We all know Adam and Eve is the one-stop shop for everything sexy. And now with my code Holly, you can get any one item for 50% off plus 10 free gifts. And you'll even get free shipping. So spice up your sex life at AdamandEve.com, but only if you use code Holly. Okay, guys, we are back. So, Jean, tell us about the synopsis of your adult-time movie, Stars.
0: So the synopsis, I guess you could say, without giving anything away of what occurs, it's about a young woman, an 18-year-old young woman that experiences her 18th year of life and during that year um she's being trafficked by a pimp. So that is something that happened to me in my life. Um and it's really it's it's kind of nonlinear in the sense that I didn't want it to be like, okay, and then this happens and then the week after this happens because that's not how it went. There was obviously in a year There's a lot of times when things are just average or normal or my version of what normal was at that time. But there were certain memories that have stood out to me since it's been about six years now um, since the situation began. And I wanted to turn those moments into a film and say, you know, this is it's a dramatic retelling with a little bit of creative license of something that genuinely happened to me. Um, And I thought that, you know, people are interested in these types of stories and the fact that it's something that I went through and I am here to tell it and I've lived and I'm a survivor of the situation. Um, I thought that I, not that I owe it to my fans, but that I owe it to myself to finally give that to myself to be able to be free and be open and not have to hold this weight and this dark secret inside. Um, and the secret being like all the little details of everything that went down.
2: Yeah. Um, you were, when you were on the show last, you told your story about, yeah. uh, being manipulated into the industry. And it was the first time that you'd told the story publicly, yeah. which obviously must've been really hard to do. Yeah. Were there any parts of the story that um, you weren't ready to share yet that come out in this film?
0: Yes, um, pretty much all of it. I think (laughs) that definitely was the first time I had ever publicly spoken of it. I think I only was first told by somebody that it sounded like trafficking or what trafficking is in 2018, like Mm -hmm. early. So You know it was taking me a while to fully grasp and understand what happened to me because I was in shock I think still for years and just pushing it down um because I needed to cope I needed to find a way to like keep going and not just crumble into this you know pile of trauma Mm -hmm. I wanted to pursue porn and I knew I needed to be strong and just keep going on and pursue it um So I think when I was on the podcast last, I gave like, you know, a basic idea. I was manipulated. I don't even know if I used the word trafficking at that time or maybe I did. Um, In this film, people are going to see, obviously, with a little bit of give and take because it is a film and it is a pornographic film. Mm. um, They're going to see what happened. They're going to see the feelings I went through, the emotions, the people that were a part of my life, the people that came and went, um, even seemingly irrelevant people I wanted to include in the story because that's my story. And, you know, um, I really I took a lot of inspiration from Sean Baker, who's a filmmaker. He does mostly independent films. um, And a lot of them feature sex workers or porn stars or just sex work as a narrative in general um and they're usually non-linear they're very much like a series of moments that kind of happen and just bringing it together into a film and a lot of stuff open to interpretation so i wanted to do a film like that i didn't want it to be super rigid um with like you know the dates and the timing and the characters the dialogue i wanted it to kind of just be um My truth. Mm -hmm. So this film is my truth. Mm -hmm. And people will finally get to see that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of girls getting trafficked into porn is a big one that is used often by anti-porn activists. Um, So how did you walk that line of creating this movie without making it come off as like Mm
0: -hmm. anti-porn? Porn actually has very little to do with the entire film as a whole. Mm -hmm. Um, It's telling the story of the year of my life before I entered the porn industry. And only at the very, very end of the film is there even a glimpse of porn. Um, The way that we shot that scene and the way we approached it was just in a very honest way. So I wanted people to just not think, oh, my God, like, this is so porn is so amazing or porn is terrible. Like, I just want them to see it and see this is what it really was. And, you know, I've stuck around and whether people want to believe this or think this like porn saved my life. I had no direction in my life. I didn't know where I was going to go. I was just a traumatized young woman. And porn gave somebody that was already a very sexually open person an opportunity to make something of myself and make a life for myself Um, so I don't, I guess, you know, after someone would view this film and then kind of see what I've been able to do after these events occurred and what I've been able to accomplish in my career and my life, I hope that they don't see porn as trafficking because for me, porn is the furthest thing from my experience of being trafficked. Porn was me having my own choices. And I made that decision for myself to fly down to Florida and start shooting. I had an agent that helped me book the scenes. But when I went to set, it was all me. And that was the opposite of my experience as a trafficking survivor. So I hope and I think that people will be able to see that in the film. Um But also, you know, I'm not here trying to change anyone's mind. I'm mm-hmm. just this is for people with an open mind. Yeah. That just want to, you know, see it for what it is.
2: Well, I think it's actually like a healthy thing to be able to show that because there is this whole anti-trafficking movement that they're trying to use because, you know, porn is constantly being attacked. I've seen it my whole life. Mm -hmm. I've seen it with my parents. I've seen it with the Mies Commission. Like, you know, it's it's always been around. So the new angle is is trafficking, right? The mm-hmm. idea that, like, all of these... Before it was the idea that porn was ruining the social fabric of, like, the family and, mm-hmm. and just society in general. And it was corrupting the world. Mm-hmm. Now it's, like, very specifically about unwilling women being forced to do porn. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of... I think it's good that you were able to make a film and distinguish between, like, yet yeah, trafficking and porn. Because both things happen, right? Mm-hmm. But there's... You know, these anti-porn activists always want to make it all the same thing. Every girl in porn is trafficked. Mm -hmm. Um, Where your story seems to say, there's trafficking. I experienced it. It was a negative thing. There's porn. I experienced that. And that was a positive thing for me. And that is not the same thing. Yes. So how was it – how were you able to, I guess, go from this, you know, obviously traumatic experience of being trafficking – being trafficked into porn, like – Because I think most people would feel that, oh, once you were trafficked, then all the idea of the porn industry in general or moving forward in sex work in any way, Mm -hmm. shape or form would be something that you wouldn't want to go through. You'd go the opposite way. So how did you make that? How was porn like still an option for you, I guess, is my question.
0: The reason that porn was the option that I chose is... Well, what I experienced in that year from October 2016 to about September 2017, um, I don't consider that to be sex work. I know that from the outside looking in and it seems like it would be. It seems like I was just any other cam girl online, webcamming, making money. But I had no control over anything that was happening. I couldn't control when I would get paid. I was told when to work. I was told what clothes to buy, how to dress, what to do. Um, And I was told if I didn't do those things that I would never be successful, that I would be a fucking loser um, and a failure. And I don't know if it's part of being Jewish or part of being a woman or if it's a family thing, but I, one of my biggest fears was being a failure and just feeling like a failure feeling like I tried to do something and I was not able to succeed Mm -hmm. so I was already in the adult industry or whatever you can call that I was in the adult world Mm -hmm. and doing that type of work for a year and I had been told by my trafficker that porn was not an option for me I would not be doing porn because porn is dirty and gross and he he would um, up like kind of say that camming and webcamming was like the future and that porn was on its way down. Nobody even watches porn. Everyone's watching cam girls. And I knew close to nothing about the adult industry. So I believed everything he said. So I never saw porn as like an option for me. I never made content during that year. It was just camming. So then when I got out of that situation and I started thinking about, you know, what do I want to do? Do I want to leave the adult industry? Or then I'll feel like a failure and then he'll be right. I will i couldn't do it. I couldn't handle it on my own or I couldn't figure something out. But I knew I didn't want to do webcamming. It was like tainted, tarnished for me. So I said, if I'm going to stay in adult, I'm going to have to do something else. And um, I'd been thinking about porn a little bit throughout the year, but obviously what had held me back was him and his opinion of it. And Just not feeling like I wasn't comfortable in my own skin to like appear in videos like that and sell them. Um, So after I left that situation, I started experimenting with like making videos of myself and different types of like solo content. And I wasn't happy with it. I wasn't happy with the way it looked, Um, my camera quality, the lighting, my body, my face, like everything. I was just like, no, I don't not happy But I think I want to do this. So how can I do this and be happy with the product that I'm seeing? And then it all just kind of clicked and it made sense. And I said, mainstream porn films like this is what I want to do. I want to appear in movies or films. I want people to know me. I want to have sex on camera, but in a way that's going to look really professional and good. And I said, the companies are the ones that can make that happen. I knew of Riley Reed, Adriana Chechik. And I said, I want a career like that. I want to be famous. Like if I'm going to pursue, you know, this endeavor now and stay an adult, I want to be extremely successful and never feel like, am I a failure? Like, and mm-hmm. never even have that thought cross my mind. And it's, it has. It's an internal thing. It's probably never going to go away. Um, but yeah, porn was just completely separate. It was something that I wanted to do, but never felt like I could. And then when I was free and I could do it, I decided to just dive into it. And I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. So what made you,
2: when did you want to actually turn this story into a movie and what was your decision to go with adult time?
0: So it's been, um, we started talking seriously about this film stars, I started talking with Brie around like March, April. Um, But I had the idea to turn my experience into some type of art or some type of film a year ago, or maybe even more than a year ago, because previously I had written a story for Pure Taboo, which they were on a kick of doing like a lot of model collaborations where you could write your own story. And a lot of people were taking like personal trauma that they had experienced and turning it into a pure taboo film and kind of seeing it as like an empowering thing. Like, you know, I'm taking back my story and turning it into such a cool and interesting dynamic. I know. And people would never think when you think about porn, you know, you don't think about empowering situations like that. But with adult time, that's all I've really seen and experienced. Um, so I had the idea at first, I never thought this would be like a feature film that didn't even cross my brain. I didn't think I was capable or allowed to do that or something. But I had the idea that it could be, you know, like a featurette and maybe I could just take one sliver or one particular part, the equivalent of like one scene from the feature and make that, um, a scene for Pure Taboo. So I talked to Brie about it and she was very into the idea and told me to think about it more and come up with something. So I had this idea um, and then I decided, no, I don't want to do it that way because if I'm going to tell my story, I want to completely tell my whole truth and not leave out all of those details. Like obviously you can't include every single detail, Mm -hmm. but there was a lot more stuff that needed to be included, I felt that it couldn't fit in like a 40 minute scene. So then it was an ambitious idea, but I had the idea to turn it into a feature after seeing, you know, Brie did a really successful film called Teenage Lesbian. That was her own biopic. And then last year they did the biopic on Casey kisses for adult time. So I knew that adult time was supportive of um, performers, turning their trauma and their life story into art to be consumed by the viewers. Um, so I felt comfortable and I knew in my heart that adult time was the only place that I was going to do this project if I was going to. And that of course, Brie was going to be the person I do it with, of course. Um, and I just, I was lucky and Brie was just totally into the idea and believed in me from the very first meeting. Um, And we were able to turn it into something fantastic.
2: That's what I love about the adult industry today. Because, you know, I've been around for a long time and I've seen a lot of changes. And it's just so cool that the adult industry is now a place where you can tell your own personal story and, like, work through your trauma in a porn film, which is something that, like, nobody ever imagined would ever happen. And for me, I know there's a lot of people who question you know, how could you work out trauma in a porn scene, especially if it was like Mm -hmm. a sexual trauma thing. But I've talked to quite a few girls who've done similar things. And from what I've come to understand, I think that trauma has a lot to do with feeling, um, having no control, like Mm -hmm. feeling, you know, this inability to control your situation and fear. Um, So I think taking that and then putting it into a situation where you have control, where you have agency and you can explore that without the fear, I think can be a really healing thing. And I don't know. I just think it's really cool.
0: I completely agree. And uh, this experience was other than, you know, talking about it with you a little bit on the podcast um, three years ago. And then obviously in my private therapy and like my own healing I go deeper into that but this film has been the catalyst for that like I haven't even scratched the surface of the work that I need to do on myself in order to fully heal from the situation and this film has been a huge first step like a bigger first step than I ever could have envisioned and I never have envisioned until now because it was always just you know something that happened to me and I couldn't until I got a little bit older and a little bit further from the situation when something only happened to you 2 years ago you can't really even understand your own feelings about it or I couldn't at least so now that it's been 6 years and 5 years since the end of it I'm finally starting to like unpack like that yeah I was trafficked like I I lost control. I didn't have control. I didn't have agency over my own self. And that situation, you know, was happened after a lot of other stuff happened in my life. And it all just intertwines and it comes together into the person I am today. So I don't think I would change anything um, because then I don't know who I'd be. Yeah. And I don't like that. I I like who I am now. I like everything I've learned. And every bad thing I've been through has just been a lesson that I've learned.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, What was most because this was the first time that you ever directed a movie, right? So what was that like? Like, what was the most challenging part of directing? And then what was the most rewarding part?
0: Um, So I was so grateful because I went into this, you know, having written obviously the film it happened from my own life my own brain um and brie helped with the writing of course but i did not go into this film thinking that i was the director or the co-director of this film that was a a title that was given to me after the fact by brie that so grateful for um so that kind of looking back there wasn't this like pressure on me where i think if i went into it knowing that I wrote it and I'm starring in it and it happened to me and oh, I'm directing. So now I need to like, I just overthink things mm-hmm. a lot. So I'm really glad that I didn't have that like added pressure of feeling it's an like intimidating title too. It, it is, yeah. especially on a huge film like that. And just having all of these different titles attached to me for that. Um, and it being my own story made it intimidating to say the least. Um, But during the process, like, it was actually so much fun because Brie gave me a lot of creative freedom and in ways that I never had before. I knew that, of course, I was going to be the historian on set to give people a reference for their characters and the scene and what was happening during that scene. And in my mind and how everyone should be, you know, acting. Um, So, I went into it not feeling that pressure and just being able to enjoy um, these new things that I never experienced before as part of directing. So I guess for me, the hardest part was probably having to give notes as far as like the way someone is like saying something or or portraying the character. um, Because I don't want anyone to think that I'm like criticizing them or I'm very Mm -hmm. conscious of like how I'm coming across or how I'm being perceived. So I didn't want anyone to think I'm like being mean to them or being controlling or any of that negative stuff. Um, And I would say the best part or the most fun part was probably starting to have like creative control over certain shots. And if I wanted something to be included in the film, they would try really hard to accommodate me and and usually would be able to. Um, And just I had some ideas in my head about certain shots and the opening shot of the film was my idea, something that I came up with in my brain um, that nobody helped me with. And there were some parts where we were filming that where Brie and our cinematographer, Michael Vegas, they were kind of saying like, we get what you're saying, but like, Oh, it's not going to like look the way you think. And if we're doing it like, like there was just some, some roadblocks, but I stayed very true to what I wanted in that moment. And I said, this is what I want. Like whatever we need to do to make this particular shot happen, like let's do it. And I'm willing to do whatever I need to do because I want that to be included. Like that's important to me. And then when I watched the first, you know, rough draft of the film, that opening shot, I had chills on my body because I knew that that came from my heart and my mind. Nobody helped me with that, and it just looked so fucking good. <laughs> and I was like, wow, like, it really hit me. Like, wow, I, I really contributed so much to this incredible film. I'm so proud of it. Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of, like, all the work that went into it, and, and everybody did so good every single person that worked on it did their job exceptionally well. I couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah. It's,
2: it's a lot of fun to see your work. Like, yeah. I mean, (laughs) I, I I know what you mean to see that work come to fruition. And that, that first edit is like, yeah, it's really cool thing to watch. Do you see yourself
0: like maybe becoming interested in directing more? It depends. Um, it was obviously like a really unique experience to direct something that I wrote and I'm starring in and it's based on my experiences. So I had somewhere to reach from and to go from. I don't know about directing something that someone else wrote or even something that I wrote, but I don't know about directing on my own. Like, there's a lot of factors that I would need to think about. Like, am I ready for this? Is this what I want? But I think if it was the right project and just the right people working with me, I think I would definitely be open to it, um, whether it's an adult film or a non-adult film. I really did enjoy it. Um, but I think I work better with people. Like, So maybe if it was a- another collaborative effort, mm-hmm. like a co-director, I think yeah. I would be open to it for sure.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it takes a while to get to the point where you feel... Experienced enough and confident enough to like fully take on the director's mantle because it's a lot. And also too, in this industry, (laughs) a director also like means a producer, like line producer, executive producer, a story producer. It's like it's not just you don't just show up on set and like tell people what to do. It's so much more than that. So it's a lot of hats.
0: Work with the script that you're given, and Mm -hmm. there's usually. Not a lot of room for like changes or notes and stuff. What I liked about being director is that I had so much like creative freedom Mm -hmm. to just kind of go in whatever direction I felt. And I was the one that told Brie I wanted to really like emanate. Is emanate the right word? Like a Sean Baker film? I wanted to Uh, emulate. 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 So much. Um, I wanted it to emulate that type of like independent film. And that was an important thing to me. So it could have, you know, if I hadn't had that, it could have gone in who knows what direction, who knows how it would have turned out. But I had a very specific idea and a vision. So I guess that is really what I enjoyed most about being director is that my vision was taken so seriously and was able to come to life. I don't know if I want to do it if I'm not able to feel that experience. I don't think I want to make someone else's vision come to life. I just want to keep making my own visions come to life. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and
2: there you've like hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just funny. It's also like hard mm-hmm. to make your own because I've done all of it. You know, I've shot for Wicked where I had to write the script myself mm-hmm. and put it remember. together myself and yeah. like direct it and edit it myself. And it was rewarding in some sense, but it was also so much work. Yeah um so that was tough some sometimes it's nice to just show up and like shoot somebody else's script but then also too when it's not your own you're not as passionate about it
0: yeah it's not like for me i don't think it would be as fulfilling yeah but i i don't know because i have nothing else to go by i'm yeah i'm so lucky that my first directing experience was this project like Mm -hmm. who could have thought of that or planned it that way
2: yeah What is one piece of advice you would have given to yourself back in 2019 when we last spoke?
0: One piece of advice. um, I would have said, and who's to say that my younger self would have even listened to this, don't focus so much on what other people are doing. And you're doing fine. Even if you feel like you could be doing this, you could be doing better, like you're doing amazing. Mm -hmm. And... That's been something that's been so hard for me in this industry, especially with social media and everything. It's just constantly kind of being thrown in your face what everyone else is doing, whether good or bad or whatever. And you take that into account, even if you are trying not to. It's like subconsciously, I can't help but compare myself to other people's journeys. And there's a lot of factors that go into like a personal journey or career, And I think I've just focused a lot on how can I emulate this person and not so much just being proud of myself or or being proud of my own accomplishments or pursuing and thinking about what can I do to make myself happier Mm -hmm. or to make my own career better that doesn't have to do with XYZ person. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say just just hang on because things are going to get better. Well, life is ups and downs, but they will eventually be – you'll be on, like, a higher level in just – in every aspect of life um, and just focus on yourself because you're doing amazing, Speedy. That's <laughs> what I would say. I love that. Yeah,
2: yeah I can totally relate. That, like, FOMO of scrolling through Instagram and seeing – yeah, everything that everybody else is doing. You have to also consider, too, that everybody only ever puts, like, their best face forward on Instagram. Including
0: myself. Well, yeah,
2: including myself, too. Yeah. Like, for the most... Like, there are some people that yeah. I generally don't talk about, like, the bad things that are Personal going on in my life, stuff, usually, yeah. sometimes. But, um, but yeah, I know what you mean. I, I have to say, like, embarrassingly enough, even at, at my age, the only thing that took me out of that was having a kid. Mm-hmm. That was the only thing that made me go... I don't actually really care about winning an AVN ward now. Like, eh. Yeah. You know? But it took that. Like, I couldn't even, like, talk my, you know, I couldn't grow as a person enough to, you know, have this kind of spiritual barrier around me where, like, I don't care what anyone else is
0: doing. Like, I'm doing great on my own. Well, it's, I mean, it's (laughs) nearly impossible. I think it's, you'd struggle to find someone that's completely, you know, focused on themselves and not, having any type of like, input or hearing anyone else's voice. Um, but I think having a kid is just a huge part of growth. Like, I think if I'm ever to be a mother one day, I think that, you know, I can't imagine being the same as I was before, because yeah. it's just, I already think about it. And like, I do want to be a mother one day. And I already think about um, how some of the things that matter so much now, or they seem like they do are just going to be completely irrelevant one day. Like as much as I love, um, you know, performing and competing for awards and the fun and the buzz of like award season and the recognition, I just know that there are things in life that are more important. And this year in particular, I hit a rock bottom in my life where I was, I realized like, I'm not okay. I need help. Um, so I got it. And ever since then, that was about three months ago. I kind of uh, things are just in a different perspective for me. Like, I still love this industry and I'm grateful for everything it's given me. But it's not my life. Mm -hmm. It's not my life. Um, It's not the only thing that matters in my life. And I know that there will be a day in the future when I'm not actively working in this industry anymore. And I'm still going to be happy. I'm still going to matter the work I've done is not going to be like obsolete or for nothing. I know that people will continue to enjoy it and I will continue to go on and pursue new things and figure out what is life about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, I definitely this year have finally calmed down a little bit. I feel like there's this giant balloon or this bubble that my whole career has kind of just been inflating and me just feeling like, oh my God, like, there's so much stuff in this bubble, like so much I'm holding inside and like stuff. I just need to push down because I just need to focus on work and doing well and winning awards. And that balloon popped and now all that stuff is coming out. So I, now I'm like in the process of collecting everything and figuring out what I'm going to do with it.
2: But I think that that's so admirable. And that's part of the journey of life is that we all hit that I think we all get to a place at some point in our life where we're like, wow, I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. But the most important thing is to do something about that. Right. It's the people who sit and stew in their misery and their not okayness yeah, and who don't like take active measures to get through that because we're all going to hit that at some point. So it's about like what you do with that, you know, and what you yeah. do to get through it.
0: Yeah. And uh, I didn't want to feel that way anymore. I was like, you know, I there's nothing in my life that is so – terrible that I should be feeling this way so why do I feel this way and then I realized it wasn't because of anything in my life it's because of me and my relationship with myself so I've just been working on that for the past few months and it's completely changed everything put so many things in perspective and filming stars was definitely that and then um pursuing, I don't know how to word it or how to call it. I'm, I'm in recovery Mm -hmm. for codependence. Okay. Um, so it's been three months of that and that and the film, they kind of like, well, filming stars, it unpacked a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff came up and that made me feel like I'm not okay. I need to deal with all this stuff that has made me who I am. And some of it is going to be really hard, but I need to deal with that if I want to feel happy in life at any point um so those two things I don't want to call it like divine intervention but the fact that I felt like I hit my rock bottom right around the time when we were filming the movie and all that stuff started coming and I was able to like really just dive in and start realizing like what I went through and that I need to deal with it it couldn't have happened at a better time and and now I finally feel like Things are getting better and I'm feeling really happy.
2: Yeah. It's funny how the universe
0: works, huh? Very funny and I'm grateful.
2: Okay. Uh I have a couple of Patreon questions before we wrap it up. Um, so this one is less of a question, more of a comment, and I agree wholeheartedly. Uh Larry says your hair is heavenly.
0: Oh my gosh, thank you.
2: Thank <laughs> you do have lovely hair. Thank Um, and then Cameron asked, uh, how has your experience as a performer informed how you approach directing?
0: Um, great question. I, when, well, of course, as I said, when I was having the experience of directing, I didn't have it with like my director's cap on. I didn't see myself in that way. So I wasn't thinking about how can I, you know, be the best director in the moment. I was just, doing it I was Mm -hmm. doing what Brie asked of me which is to give as much of myself as I could um I will say I would never expect or ask anyone as a performer to do something that I wouldn't do myself or that I wouldn't be comfortable with um and I I know as a performer that there are certain types of scenes or just performing in general we tend to like turn it up a little and it's not necessarily going to be accurate to what sex is like in real life for that person. Um, So in directing the notes that I gave to anybody that was performing a sex scene in the film, which there's only one sex scene that I'm not in having sex in, but I'm still there, but Mm -hmm. just not in it. And I told the performers, um, not that any of you guys perform fake in general, but just whatever type of like moaning, dirty talk, porn star vibes that you usually bring to a scene that makes it, you know, a scene, just that's not necessary. I really wanted everyone to just be as real and as normal, whatever that means, as possible and not approach it like, okay, we're performing a scene, we're acting. Like, I really just wanted it to be an independent film that has explicit sex scenes in it, but that doesn't mean that you know how in a musical, like high school musical, they're acting and it's all blah, blah, blah. And then, oh, now we have like a 10 minute musical number that has nothing to do with what just happened. or And then it's the next scene and that has nothing to do with that. Like, no, I didn't want it to be that way. I wanted it to be every sex scene flows really well with the film. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was what I had in mind the most was just like – uh. Make sure the performers understand that, like, I get you. I am you. Well, usually I am you. Um, and to just be yourself, like, just be be normal, be mm-hmm. cool. A little more authentic.
2: Yeah. Um, okay, last question is from Danny Hill. First of all, he says, happy belated birthday Thank and you. happy belated birthday. Thank you. Um, I mean, you kind of already answered this question. So maybe if you have something to add to it, uh, how has your work relationship with adult time helped in your catharsis?
0: Yeah, um, I do have something to add. I will say that adult time and Bree specifically, but adult time as a company has been the only company that has really made me feel extremely valued. I mean, of course, well, valued for who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. That's a better way to word it. Every other company that I've worked with has been great. um, But I always know that they expect and want me to be Jane Wilde, like the nasty little spinner girl that Mm -hmm. does anal and lots of dirty talk. And I love that. Like, I never want to act like I don't enjoy performing because I love it. And everything I've done, I'm so proud of. But I'm I'm now in a place in my life and have been this past year where I want to give more of myself Mm -hmm. and who I really am and show more of myself. And Adult Time is the only company that really was like, yeah, we want you for who you are and we accept you for who you are and we want to tell your true story. Mm -hmm. Everything else, it's been, you know, I'm putting on my porn star hat, my persona, and it's not that different, but I definitely amp it up as Jane. Um, When when working and in this film, I didn't amp anything up. I just was completely real and raw in myself. And that's because of adult time. I can't say if it was for any company, I can't say that it would have been the same result. So I'm just eternally grateful to them.
2: Yeah. Now they allowed you to show another side of you because we all have more than one side to us.
0: Right. And people I know that people want to know about it, even if, you know, there's always going to be the loud minority voices that are like no porn stars are just dumb whores like you guys just need to stay you know doing what you do best and suck dick and then i know that there's gonna be people that
2: (laughs) i just hear that all the time which is hilarious to me because then i also i mean just like you know with my youtube channel i have like 185,000 subscribers right now. So I'm just like, there's 185,000 people that are actually interested in what porn stars have to say because right. th- they're here. And
0: there's many more there's, than you that. You can't watch
2: porn on my channel. Yeah, like, porn, exactly. Porn, you it's know what I mean? Just
0: conversations yeah. with people who do porn, and I know even just from TikTok and like the po- the popularity of like the corn yeah. hashtag Thank and the God. blue, the black and orange square that represents Pornhub, like. I know that people are interested in porn more than just watching porn, for sure. Um, and I guess when this film comes out, we will just see how interested people are. Yeah, that will be the test. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on,
2: Jane. Um, really cool. By the way, I just want to say you really have grown so much as a thank person you. So since much. I last talked to you. I'm I'm very impressed by you thank and. You. Um, I'm very proud of you and congratulations for everything that you've done. Thank
0: you so much. Thanks for having me back to talk about my life and, and yeah. the film that I helped create. Um, I'm so excited for everyone to see it. And I'm going to just keep doing what I do and continue growing and elevating not just my career, of course, but my, myself, my consciousness Um and I'm grateful for the growth. Yay. Thank you so much, Holly. Of course. Can you tell everybody where they can find you online? Yes. My Instagram account is wildsexual underscore or Jane being wild. Uh, my Twitter is Jane Wild triple X. My YouTube is Jane Wild XO. And my Twitch, my newly started Twitch account where I'm streaming live, um, playing games and talking with my fans almost every day, is also Jane Wild XO. So check out any of those. Fantastic. Thank you.
2: And then, of course, you guys can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Holly Randall. And um, if you're listening on the audio platform, I would very much appreciate it if you would rate the podcast five stars, leave me a review, be nice, unless, like, you really fucking hate the show. And then, like, why bother to leave (laughs) a review? Like, why waste your time? (laughs) Um, If you're watching this on YouTube, um, hit the like button, subscribe. I would really appreciate that. And, of course, if you want to watch these interviews live, streamed, As they're happening and submit your questions like some of my members did for Jane, go to patreon.com slash Unfiltered. Thank you guys so much for joining us as always, and I will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. If you love my show and want to support it, I ask that you take the time to rate and review my podcast. Now, if you're not sure how to do that, you can go to ratethispodcast.com slash hru Things such as early releases and live recordings of my interviews, merchandise such as stickers, mugs, and hoodies, autographed copies of my photography books, free access to my private Snapchat and not safe for work website, hollyrandall.com, and my bonus podcast, My LA Porn Life. Also, join my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash unfiltered.